This morning, we are still in our, we're in our bricks and mortar series. So we started that for the month of January. And bricks and mortar was the phrase we coined um, from Phil Dugan. And just to give him all the credit. And um, so it was that the bricks and mortar of, of the church, of our church, of any church is not the building. It's not these bricks and mortar. It's us. We're the bricks and mortar of the church. And so our series is about what does it mean for us to be the church? What does it look like for us to be the church? Now, a week ago, I went away to Haiti. And uh, some of you just found that out. <laughs> and some of you found out just before I left. And that's because I didn't announce it very well that I was leaving, but I did go and come back. And uh, so I was, I was thinking about h- how to bring these things together. And it turns out they do fit well together, sharing um, some stuff about my trip and also um, our sermon today, which is uh, titled The Empowered Church. Um, my friend, John Hazeltine, who lived in, who lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, he's the one who invited me to go on this trip. It's called a visioning trip. And it was to go visit um, the ministry called Mission of Hope in Haiti. And so he said it was just four days. You can surely you can do four days. We're just going to go down. We're going to see all the stuff there is to see that they're doing. And then we'll come back. So you should do this. And I said, no, 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 there's no way I can do this. And then he said, well, I'm going down with all these other guys. It's going to be really awesome. We're going to, we can encourage your heart and prophesy over you and do all sorts of encouraging things for you. And it's going to be so good and refreshing. And so I was like, well, I don't know. And he kept asking and asking. Finally, I was like, okay, okay, I'll go. And so I went down, visited John and his family in Michigan. And then we went on to Haiti. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a third world country like Haiti or, uh, you know, a place like that, but you can't go somewhere like this and not be changed. You can't go and see what there is to see without it affecting you deeply. Haiti is a nation, um, you can see how it looks right there. It's uh, not what you picture as being a Caribbean country. It shares the same island with the Dominican Republic. And if I put up pictures of the Dominican, you would think it looks very different than this. Now, Haiti was colonized by France. I'll share, give you a little bit of background on Haiti. Haiti was colonized by France, first Spain and then France. And France came in and they cut down all the trees because it was lots of good trees. So they took all the trees and what happened is it turned to desert, desertification is the official word. And so the land turned, it looks like Southern California, not a Caribbean country. And so France and Spain, between the two of them, they killed off all the indigenous people and um, brought in um, African, black African people to be slaves on their plantations for cane sugar and coffee. And as the land turned to desert, the runoff into the water killed the reefs, destroyed the natural reefs around Haiti. And so the fish move out and there's no more fishing or very little fishing. And um, this was the process. So Haiti is a nation that um, has had years now of revolution. So they threw off uh, their colonizers and they've had dictatorship. They've had political upheaval. And then you may remember in 2010 when they had this devastating earthquake that just ravaged the land, destroyed everything. And, um, And basically, and then a year ago, they had the hurricane that came through the southern part of Haiti. So these blue tents are, were sent by Samaritan's Purse in 2010, and they were meant to last a year. They're supposed to be kind of relief tents. And as I go to Haiti in 20, 
17, thousands and thousands and thousands of shacks made up of these blue tarp tents. It's brutal. The poverty and lack of infrastructure in Haiti is mind-boggling. It's crazy. There are 10,000 NGOs, 10,000 charitable organizations working in Haiti. And you would think, I would think, with that many people and that much money going in and trying to make a difference, that transformation would be inevitable. We would assume this, we would think this, and yet it's not the case. Now, as I was coming to think about, now what would I share, you know? Maybe it's something about the need in the world or our place and our need for our church to join into global missions and be part of that. Or the coming tide of water that's going to flood us. Don't know where that's coming from, but... Um, it's a tidal wave. It's a tidal wave. Sorry, I'll get back on track. So I was thinking, what, what, what is there? What, what are we sharing about? And it was interesting how the thing God was speaking most to my heart didn't have to do with global missions. It didn't have to do with need in the world. It had to do with the state of the church, actually. And it fit really well into our series about what does it look like to be the church? And so this morning, that's what we're talking about. Um, what does it look like to be the empowered church? Our passage is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, and it's up there if you want to read along. Rather, speaking the truth in love, I don't mean read along out loud, just to clarify. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And my big idea this morning is that we are empowered to be the interdependent body of Christ. Or, if you want a more memorable uh, main idea, that when you go home and someone says, what was the main idea? What was the big idea? And you're like, it was something about interdependent. I can't remember. This is the, this is the point. You're a brick. Okay? Can you remember that? I didn't say brickhead. I just said brick. You're a brick. Or bricks in the wall. My first point is that we need to grow up into. We need to grow up into. I don't know if you were out this past week when the snow was melting, but I was out. I was taking kids to school. It's one of my jobs at home. I take kids to school. And so I walked Mael through the, their, their field, which we cross, is like a skating rink now. Okay, for the last two weeks, it's been a skating rink because it thawed and people walked on it and then it froze again. So it's like a skate. So you skate your way across. And with all the now the recent rain, we got around to the side of the building and there was a spot where there's a storm drain, but the storm drain wasn't working. And so there was ice all around the storm drain. And then on top of the ice was this like a pond. The water was melting, but it wasn't going down the storm drain. So as we come around the corner, I'm watching as all these kids tromp into the water in their boots, and then they, this is a kid thing, they go as deep as they can, and they try to get the water right to the very edge of their boot. Maybe you did this as a kid? 
I'm watching all these kids do that. They go up and they try to get as close to the edge of the line. And then because it's ice under the water, they're slipping and the water's going in their boots. And then the kids are crying. I'm all wet. And then you watch as they're crying, walking away. And then another kid's like, and he walks right in after them. And then the next kid, I wa- literally, I watched this. Myel and I are standing there. I was like, Myel, don't do what those kids are doing. Please just, I want to say they're stupid, but I won't. And the kids go in there. The next kid goes in. He slips completely and he lands as if he fell into a pond. He is soaking wet as if he went swimming. He's drenched and dripping wet and he walks out and he's like this. And I watch as four or five kids watch him walk out soaking wet. School hasn't even started. And then the kids go in. I I don't know what they're thinking. This This is the thing. I'm sitting there, and I was actually laughing while they were crying. I was laughing. I was like, this is comical. These, these are kids for you. Like, when are these kids going to grow up? <laughs> but you know what? On one level, we need to grow up. Jesus says, you know, we need to be as children to enter the kingdom. And so we talk about that a lot. We say, you know, we need child hearts. We need to be like children. And yet, on another level, we also need to grow up. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Or Colossians 1, 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Or the, right before our passage in Ephesians, it says, like, don't be like kids blown around, infants blown and tossed all over. Few things are more shocking when I got to Haiti than what, what I would almost call like a nat- national immaturity. And not that the individuals are immature, but there's a national immaturity in Haiti where it's like the dependency that has been created through horrible things that have happened to them create this dependency almost like a childlikeness as a nation. And the tidal wave's coming. Few things are more shocking than visiting one of the poorest nations in the world. And Haiti is one of the poorest. It's been on the list as one of the poorest. So you see things like uh, they have an expression in Creole that means like when things don't work out or it doesn't, they try something and it doesn't happen. They'll say, they'll say this expression, which in English we would translate, well, we're Haitian. It's like things don't work. You say, nah, we're Haitian. That's why. Oh, we tried this. It uh, didn't work. Yeah, we're Haitian. I mean, like, it's like our curse as a nation that things wouldn't work. Or there's a story that sheds light on their kind of cultural identity, and it's um, a story that the guy goes to the doctor, and he gets there, and he's got a stomach ache, and the doctor says, well, what's wrong? You know, my stomach's really hurting. Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm in agony. And he says, okay, well, you know, did you eat something, or what, what happened? And he says, yeah, I ate my, the green mango, the unripe mango from my tree. And the doctor would be like, what? You ate a green mango? Why would you eat a green mango? Of course you're going to be sick. Well, I ate it so no one else would take it. So it's like, it's this idea that, like, you can't wait for it to ripen. You have to just take what you can get. And you just, you fight for it, and it doesn't work out, and it makes you sick. But that's the best you're going to get, is a green mango. On many levels, I think the church has embraced a similar kind of thing. We live in kind of this, this immature state where we expect little, and we ask for little, and we mainly focus on ourselves and our experience, which is kind of like the child view is, is like, I'm thinking about me right now, not looking ahead. 
I'm not planning ahead. I'm thinking about right now. And we in the church, we tend to be like that a little bit. There's a few indicators that we might need to grow up if we display some of the tendencies. One would be we don't want to commit. We don't want to have any responsibility in community or in connection or in relationship. We say, nah, I don't know if I want that. That would be an indicator you need to grow up. Another one would be that we blame others for our lack of growth. We would say, oh, things are so hard, things are so bad. Yeah, it's your fault. It's your, usually it's my fault <laughs> if I'm the pastor. But it's someone else's fault. It's my group leader. It's that person. It's that thing. You know, it's because the church isn't doing this or the church isn't doing that. And we blame it on other people. A third one is that we think mostly in the present. And we worry mostly about ourselves and whether we're going to get ours. Like, I need to make sure I get mine, my treat, my goodie, my thing. And I'm thinking about me right now. But Paul doesn't just say, you need to grow up, which I think he could have said. Come on, guys, just grow up. He says, you need to grow up into Jesus. So this isn't just a beat me, guilt me to grow sermon or message. This is about growing into Jesus is where we grow and how we grow. Jesus says in John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And again, it's the same picture. It's the same picture as the body and Jesus is the head and the, the vine and the branches. It's the same picture. If you pictured a body and you, you think of the, the body of Christ or the church running around and trying to do God's bidding like it's a guilt trip, like, oh, come on, body, let's go do something. Let's serve some more. Let's go do some more mission. Come on, everybody, let's go do it. That's not the picture because we're supposed to grow up into Jesus, who is our head. So the picture then is we're just responding to the head and the body. We're not running around madly. We're responding to Jesus, who's leading us and directing us in peace and in grace. And so we have God-sized expectations. Not little expectations, but big ones. Because we're not just trying to do something on our own. We're doing something in Jesus. And so this is what I do with my kids. I sit them down regularly and I say to them, Hey guys, you're really awesome. And so a lot will be expected of you. I expect a lot of you. Mom expects a lot of you. We have high standards for you. Because God has given you amazing gifts and talents. Because God has put you in a home that loves you and showered you in affection. And, and you're accepted and you're welcome. And, and you're, you're growing up learning about God. And so a lot will be required of you in the kingdom. This same thing is for us. We, we have, in the church, we have big expectations for one another and for what we're going to accomplish together. This is what I saw in Haiti as Mission of Hope was empowering Haitians to break the cycle of who they are and their national identity and to empower them into taking ownership for their own moving forward. And so the best example I can give you is the water tower. Um, So Mission of Hope, they stopped doing any projects that don't have the full and complete um, buy-in of the community. So they said a water tower like this, now it used to take like, you know, a couple weeks, you get a team in, they build the thing, and it'd be done. But we don't do that anymore. They said now it takes about 18 months. 
And they, what they do is they send in their Haitians, because their mission of hope is mostly Haitians. And the Haitians go in and they say, we're going to have a town hall meeting in this village that needs clean water. And so they all show up at the town meeting, and when there's no white people, they all leave. And then they say, okay, next month, we're going to have another town hall meeting. We're trying to build this thing. And the next month, again, they come. There's no white people. They leave. And then the next month, and it takes months and months until finally they realize it's not going to go away. Nothing's going to happen until you come and sit in this meeting. And as they come and sit in the meeting, they start to elect they're called village champions. So people in that village who are going to represent their, their values to do with this water station. And so they have a council that's going to manage this as a village. And so then the team finally, after 18 months, they came and they built this water station. And so this one village, we got to see, this one village, they bought into it so much, they, like, they started really using this thing. And it, they have to pay some money, which helps maintain the pure water station. So inside there's the mechanism to clean the water. And so show the next slide. So this one village, they built the thing, and then they were making money, more money than it cost them to maintain it. And so then they said, well, what, what else can we do here? And they said, oh, let's put in a charging station because there's electricity. Let's put in a charging station in here. And so then people, lots of people have cell phones, and they come and they charge their phone at the charging station and pay a little money. So then the village is making even more money. And so they said, well, what else can we do? Well, let's put on an awning and let's, let's paint it a colorful color. Like, it, that, you know, the Haitians love bright colors. And so they paint a bright color and they said, hey, let's add another reservoir. Who's telling them to do all this? Nobody. They own it. It's theirs. And so they go for it and they build it. And now they're saving up to build another one in another part of the village so that people don't have to go as far to come to this one. Ownership. It's people dreaming big dreams and saying, we're not going to move ahead until we all get it, until we're all seeing it, the picture together. Jesus says in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. Jubilee is called to dream God-sized dreams. We're not We don't have the little dreams. We have big dreams. And it's okay to dream big dreams and have big ideas. And some of them happen and some of them don't. But you know what? We're willing to step into it. We're willing to believe for that. This is a body that is learning to function together. We're learning to appreciate and value one another. We're growing in every way into Jesus. We're connected and flowing from his leadership. And hopefully we're multiplying into a vast array of Neighborhood churches all over Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? The first time I sat with Tim in the car, and he was telling me he had a dream about churches in every school. Like an actual dream. About churches in every school. And I was like, that is so cool. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be too many churches. Too many churches. No, that'd be awesome. We could have neighborhood churches in every neighborhood. Reaching people in those neighborhoods for Jesus. None of this happens because of us, though. It happens because of us in Jesus, because we are his body growing up into him. Secondly, we're working properly. We're working properly. Last Monday, I got on my flight. It was a 6.30 a.m. flight, so I had to go stay in the airport hotel and make sure I got up early. And I got on the airport, and I got my flight stuff, and I got on the plane, and I sat down, and I was like, I made it, I made it, I made it. It's so good. And then we waited, and the plane filled up, and then we waited, and we waited 20 minutes, and then the pilot got on. Sorry, we're having a situation here. Uh, just a little problem. 
with um, one of the indicators. So maintenance has told us that if we shut off the plane for 30 minutes and restart it like your computer, it should be fine. So we all looked at each other and we're like, okay. So they turned off the airplane. No lights, no air. No, <laughs> we're going to die. And so we sat on there for 30 minutes. We're all like, okay, good. Okay, we can do this. And then... Sorry, that has not resolved the problem. The indicator is still not working. Don't worry, though. It's just the fuel light indicator. And so uh, we're going to do it manually by going out and using a dipstick. So we're like, okay, is that, does that still work? Like, you can do that? I think that sounds important to me. If you don't know how much fuel is in our plane, I'm a bit concerned. We need things to work properly. The plane did take off. I did miss my connection and spent whole day in the airport. So it was awesome. We want things to work properly. We need things to work properly. And Paul says the same thing about the body of Christ. Things need to work properly. He uses words like we're going to grow up in every way, that we're equipped, that we're working properly, building itself up. Those are words that involve mechanism. The NIV says joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Or the NASV says, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That sounds important. Like the joints are going to be important if they're supplying something. According to the proper working of each individual part. And in this picture, things need to work. The jubilee vision or expression of this is that we say we are set free and we are being set free. That's how we express this idea. We say that when you're being set free, we're becoming something, we're on a journey, and that means we're not all becoming perfectly the same. We are becoming perfectly, over time, the people God made us to be. So I'm going to be the most Jonathan I can be at the end of this line, and you're going to be the most Josh you could be, you're the most Lauren you could be at the end of this line because of him. We're being set free and made into the God image, God glorifying us that he designed us to be. That's the picture. And Paul uses the description of a body because body parts are important. Every human being can relate to that picture, I think, as long as you all have a body. Do you all have a body? Okay, good. Some of you aren't sure. You have a body. You understand this. If something doesn't work, your digestive system doesn't work, it's a big deal. If your toe is broken, it's a big deal. If something isn't working in your body, you feel it. It debilitates you. You are weaker because of it. But this isn't like a striving doing that. I'm I'm not talking about let's just work harder and be harder. You know, let's just do this better. This is a, a, a true heart gladness that I'm talking about. Frederick Buckner says, purpose is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's need. And that deep gladness does need to meet the world's need. And we together need to see that in one another. And if you're not functioning in the way God made you, if you're not stepping into your gifts and your call, if you're not walking in that, if you are not healthy, if you're dysfunctional in some way, the rest of our body is weaker because of it. So our heart, our desire is to see everyone stepping into health and function. So what does it look like when you're working properly? What does it look like? Some questions would be like, well, what things are you doing that bring you life? What things do you do that bring you life? How do you feel when you're doing them? There's some things we do and it's like, ugh. And other things we do are like, wow, yeah, I thought I'd be tired, but I'm not. 
What refreshes you? What groups are you a part of? What groups do you want to be a part of? Where are you serving? Where are you giving? Where are you participating? Using what you have to bless the rest of us. For me, I'm tired of being tired. This is my common excuse. I say, I'm tired or I'm busy. Those are my two go-tos. I'm tired of being busy. I'm busy. I'm so busy, I'm tired. And the truth is that I can wake up on a day and I can get up and be like, I'm too tired, and I sleep in. I get up, oh, I miss quiet time. Okay, I'm too tired anyway. Visit with Jesus. I go on in my day, oh, I'm too tired. I go swimming. I'm too tired for this. I'm too tired. I spend a whole day, I'm too tired to do this job. I'm going to do just this easy thing. And you get to the end of your day when you do that, and you just felt tired all day, I find. And yet there could be a day where I get up, I'm like, I'm too tired again. No, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I get up. I go spend some time with Jesus. Wow, I feel really refreshed. My soul is invigorated. My spirit is alive. I go out. Yeah, you know what? I don't feel like going swimming. I'm going to go swimming because it's so good for me. I go, wow, my brain is lots of endorphins in there. I'm going to go. I'm going to get some things done. I'm doing stuff that I'm meant to do. And suddenly I get to the end of my day and I say, wow, I, I could have been so tired all day. And yet I was doing things I was made to do and meant to do. And so there's an energy and aliveness to it. I'm working properly in that sense, doing things I'm made to do. You were made to serve an important role in the church body. In a nation like Haiti, it'd be easy to give up. Do you know that there are 9 million people? And before the earthquake, there were 500,000 orphans. Now there's a million. Out of 9 million people, there's a million orphans. Mind-blowing. 70% unemployment. Seven out of ten people you meet are unemployed. There's no work for them. And there's 10,000 NGOs working <laughs> in this country. It's incredible. I visited a group, a ministry that was working properly. I saw this in action. Wow, in a country that is not functioning, here's a group that is functioning. Every single area we went to, we saw people functioning. They were empowering Haitians, and people were rising up and doing different things. Some of the stuff they're working on, um, child sponsorship is one. So this is a bunch of kids. So your $35, my $35, whoever's goes to these kids are standing right there watching them go to class. And they get a little breakfast meal, and then they get, go to school, and then they get a full lunch, a big lunch that is served to them. And uh, child sponsorship, 2,500 kids are going to these schools every day. Plus, they have a whole bunch of partner schools as well. They're providing curriculum to and helping them. Another thing... Mission of Hope does is they do Haiti One Network, it's called. So 10,000 NGOs, do you think maybe those people should be working together? Do you think maybe that would be a good thing to do? So they've invested in what they call it the Haiti One Network. They're trying to get these groups working together so you're not redundant, but you're working toward the same goal. They have this huge warehouse. So a whole bunch of the aid groups bring in their food into this warehouse. They put it all there together. And there's water. You can see the water. And then they send it all out. 95,000 people get fed out of this warehouse every day. Out between a whole bunch of different aid groups coming together and working together. Another one is mobile medical clinics. So they send teams into villages to do um, clinics and to be people's um, primary uh, care, medical care. This was the clinic on the base. And uh, so they run this and people come in here every day and, and get help. Another one is church advancement. So they connect churches to villages, and then in those villages, they're building 
Next slide. Building schools. So this is, so in the background, I love this picture, because in the background you can see what Haiti looks like, the desert. And then you see this village. You see all the rows of houses. So normal Haiti villages aren't in straight rows. So this was built. This was built right after the, the um, earthquake. And they built a school up on the hill. And they built all these rows of homes. And they told these people, here's your home. We're giving you this home and this space. And when they're given the place to live, suddenly they became very industrious. And they started growing banana plants and growing all sorts of things. And suddenly you see an area coming back to life because people are taking ownership. They're saying, this is my town. This is my village. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow some, something. I'm going to put some goats in my yard. I can do something now. And suddenly you look out and you see it turning green. Ministries were run and implemented by, implemented by Haitian nationals. And I thought that was really cool. As an organization, they were saying, how can we empower? How can we empower? Another one would be, uh, this is a senior's home. So out of 9 million people, how many seniors' homes, old folks' homes, do you think they have? Zero. One. They just built this one. Do you know how many people this one sleeps? 20 people. 20 people. And people said, why are you doing that? 20 people? out of nine? What's the point? Why are you even doing that? And they say, hey, it's just to start the conversation. Do you know how many people live in this home? Five. Not even 20. Because they're working with the local government and the local village, and there's politics, and they're trying to figure out how to do this. And the Mission of Hope says, we're not just going to stuff it full of people. We're going to work together so that you own this. And when it's owned, you will run it, and it will be yours. Beautiful. How do we change a nation? How do we change our culture? How do we change our churches? How do we change the culture of our church? One, one thing at a time. One life at a time, one person at a time. That's how you do it. Starting conversations, being willing to talk through stuff, doing what we were meant to do. You and I doing what we were made and meant to do, doing what we were gifted and called to do, growing up into Christ and doing it together. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My third point is in love. The empowered church is grown up. We grow up into Christ. The empowered church is working properly. Each part is equipped and functioning. And the empowered church builds itself in love. Usually when we talk about love, I think I picture like cupids. I picture Valentine's Day's coming. You know, you got like those little tangy hearts that are a little bit addictive. You know, like love is like, oh, it's passion. It's like the church singing Kumbaya together, right? Or we used to sing, we used to all put our arms around each other. Maybe your church didn't do this. Our church did. We put our arms around each other and we'd sing, we will break dividing walls. We will break. And everyone would be joined together. And it was like, that was love. It's like, love is like this warm, loving feeling. Usually we're not thinking about love as sacrifice. Sacrifice. But love is sacrifice. You ask any married couple, who's been married for years and years, eons, and you ask them, how have you done it? How did you get this far? They'll say, love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. I know this when Lauren and I get in a disagreement, when she can't see things my way. And I don't know why she doesn't know I'm right, because I'm so right all the time. And I have those moments where I'm frustrated, and I think, like, every part of me 
wants my own way. And in that moment when I'm like, oh, why can't you just know I'm right? I have to make a choice. And that choice is a sacrifice. It's a part of me that dies. And the part of me that dies is the selfish part of me that's very big. It's like, it needs to die. And in that sacrifice of love, we grow deeper and closer together. But it's a sacrifice. I'm laying down part of me to embrace something bigger and more beautiful. How are husbands to love wives? How are we to love one another? The way Christ loved us. Christ laid down his life for us. Bricks and mortar are interdependent. The picture is you can't pull a brick out and the rest of the bricks not know. It'd be crazy or, or a bunch of bricks just to collapse. It wouldn't work. In the same way, it would also be ridiculous for one of those bricks to say, I'm all alone in the world. I'm just so alone. You'd be like, how are you alone? You're in a wall with bricks. Everyone's, all the bricks are there together. That's the picture we're meant to embrace. We're not alone. We're interdependent. First Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We don't transform a nation alone. We don't transform our a church alone. We don't transform our city alone. We don't do it by being comfortable. We do it through by being a spiritual house, by being a holy priesthood, by being living stones, sacrificing ourselves together to be something beautiful. Jesus um, is described in Mark chapter 12. He's watching, he and the disciples are watching a situation in the temple. I don't know why I put that slide up, but that was bottle caps from Haiti. It's kind of cool. These people are coming. We can pretend they're dropping bottle caps. These people were coming to the temple and they were putting in money into the temple thing. And so I picture all these people coming and it's visible. Everyone's watching. And so people are pouring in lots of money and they look good. And it's different people putting in different amounts. And so you'd probably want to put in big amounts, I'm guessing. And as they're watching these people come, Jesus and the disciples see this poor old widow. And she comes up and she puts in just a few pennies, just a little bit. And then Jesus says this. He says, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. I read that, I'm like, and that's the story? Jesus, if I'd have been there, I'd have done something. Why are you guys just sitting there watching this? Like, If I'd have been there, I'd have gone over and said, hey, old woman, don't do that. Don't, don't, you know, give one out of two. Don't give all of it. Because look, there's lots. Look at the temples doing well. This temple, we're making budget. There's gold on the walls. Don't give everything you have. That's not wise. It's not prudent. Don't sacrifice so much. That's what I would do. That's what I do all the time when I come and I say, yeah, don't, it's okay. Don't sacrifice. No, yeah, don't, don't work. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. What happens when we, when we say that being the living stones of the church will be easy or comfortable? What happens when we say that you don't need to give or serve or sacrifice? What happens is I steal from you something that is beautiful, that we're made and meant to do, which is that we would give 
in different ways, give all that we have to the Lord. Love is cruciform, looks like a cross. Love is sacrifice. We lay it down to get it back. Being in Haiti challenged me. Examples of sacrifice. There's a whole group of interns that come in every year, um, all sorts of people, uh, medical people or people from churches, all sorts of interns want to get experience. Mission of Hope is a big group, and so they can take lots of interns. And I found out that a whole bunch of those interns, they didn't have room for everyone, and so a bunch of them ended up staying in a shipping crate that was made into a dormitory room. And so we were there in the 31-degree weather in January, and they said, in summer it gets hotter. It gets to be 40-plus easily. So if you picture living in a shipping crate, metal shipping crate, with a metal roof, I don't think that is ideal. (laughs) In fact, that sounds like a hot box or something. I don't know. That's crazy. And yet these people come in and they say, because of what's happening, because of we're willing to sacrifice. Probably the most powerful one was Dr. Jennifer, a Haitian uh, lady who is the doctor at the clinic on the base. And she also goes out with some of the medical teams sometimes. Um, she works usually from kind of 7 or 8 until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we got a tour of the medical clinic. And we said, oh, wow. And then we were, and they were telling us, oh, yeah, people come line up at 6 a.m. They're already here, lined up, and we won't get to see them all at the clinic. And I said, well, then why are you stopping at 3, three in the afternoon? Why don't you go to 5? Like, dinner's at 6? Like, what's the big deal? They said, well, Dr. Jennifer travels three hours by bus to get here. And then she drives three hours by bus to get home. So the only way she gets to see her family is if we end the day at three and she takes the bus home and gets to see her kids. Dr. Jennifer (laughs) is living a life of sacrifice. And the reason is because she loves her country and she loves her people and she's willing to serve them in this way. And it's powerful and it's convicting. I am convicted because I'm too busy to, have, uh, to go to a small group one night a week. I don't know how I can fit in my schedule. It's hard for me. I'm convicted because I find it hard to host people because I'm inconvenienced or I'm embarrassed. Now we're working on this part of the house or this thing's not just a perfect thing. I'm convicted because I find it hard to give my money or my time or my energy or my investment sometimes into what God very clearly tells me to do. I complain and I resist and I fight. How are you growing up in every way into him, into Jesus, who's the head? How are you joined and held together? How are you equipped? How are you working properly? How are you building the church up in love? These are hard questions for us. I think they're hard for me. And I want to share them with you, that you could also pray through them. Ask Jesus what he has for you. Because there's, whole more, there's other levels for us to step into that God wants for us as a group and wants for, God wants for each of us as we become more and more set free in him. We are empowered to be the interdependent body of Christ. We grow up into Christ We are who God made us to be. We're working properly, and we live sacrificial lives of love. It's the journey we're on. 
becoming beautiful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, experiences that change us, for moments that change us, for uh, sometimes how you get a hold of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning uh, the message would not be heavy on our hearts, that we wouldn't um, carry it as a burden of guilt or shame or somehow a failure. Um, But, Lord, that you would call us deeper, that you would um, draw us out of our places of comfort where we've become comfortable and we become comfortable with being comfortable and that you would call us out and draw us out into the life, the, the incredible, adventurous life you have for us, living on purpose, living on mission, doing the things that you called us to do, stepping into scary places where it's hard or we're nervous or we're scared, but we're called and we're equipped and we're gifted to do those things, Lord. Would you help us? Help us as a community, Lord, to step into that together, to encourage one another, to create opportunities for one another. And Lord, would you show up and would you bring healing to every part of our heart that need healing? Would you bring restoration to every part of our life that needs restoration? And would you lead us on? We love you. Amen.